uh, you're in for a little bit of a surprise. Sorry, I'm just moving the furniture out of the way for a moment. Because um, we're going to have a Christmas reading, and I haven't lost leave of my senses, nor have I forgotten that it's May the 5th, uh, not December the 5th, um, nor have I forgotten the fact that we've just had Easter. And I know uh, we, we complain that Easter eggs appear the moment Christmas is over, and I'm not trying to do the same thing the moment as Easter is over or into Christmas. There is a good reason for going right back to the beginning of Luke chapter 1 for our reading. We've said that over these next few weeks, we're looking at the gift of God's Holy Spirit, His empowering presence with us, God with us by His Spirit. And last week, as we kicked off that series, we looked at the very end of John's Gospel, John's account of the life of Jesus, and we heard together of Jesus, if you like, acting out a visual parable of um, His giving to His disciples the gift of his spirit. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know that as that gift is given on the day of Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit empowers them to serve him, to walk with him, but also that they find in the gift of that spirit a personal connection with God. That they find that this following of Jesus over three years is still real with them now, even though as he's gone back to be with his father in heaven. In other words, that Jesus comes to be with them once again by his Spirit. And what we find today as we go back to the beginning of Jesus' story, to the very beginning of Luke's gospel, is that once again the Holy Spirit is at work. God's empowering presence is right there, the very beginning of Jesus' life, just as he was there and active at the end of Jesus' life. And so as Math, who's a member of our congregation, comes and brings us our reading from Luke chapter 1, um, listen out for the gift of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, and why he's at work. And uh, let's see what God has to, uh, to say to us today uh, through his word. Thanks, Math. You'll find uh, the page number uh, on the screen. You're welcome to grab a Bible from the end of your pew, and uh, it'll show you where to find uh, that reading. Yeah, so the reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 26 which is on page 1026 in the Pew Bibles. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Beth. Do keep that uh, Bible passage open in front of you. Pop this over here. Now, one of the advantages of hearing a Christmas reading, if you like, out of context, out of the, with, away from all the trappings uh, of Christmas, is you get to hear it with different ears. You get to see it with different eyes. And one of the things it reminds us of is that right at the heart of the Christmas story is a very familiar family story. The story of the birth of a child, the story of the birth of her older cousin, only older by six months. Um, in this case, uh, Jesus is to be born, and six months before him, his cousin John is born. And on one level, this is a beautiful story of being reminded of the giftedness of birth, the giftedness of new life, the way in which God, by his Spirit, gives that gift of life, as we've been celebrating with Lottie today. And in a more particular and precise way, actually, the, this reading tells us of the work of the Holy Spirit, in particular, in the giftedness of the life of Jesus. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will rest upon you, and the child who is to be born will be the Son of God. This Jesus wasn't just the beautiful, special gift that any child is to any one of us. This boy Jesus was to be born uh, as God's son, fully God and fully human, God with us, Emmanuel, God's gift given by his Holy Spirit. But there's something else going on here, because actually if we'd ever had time, and I was joking with Math before the service, that if I'd got him to read the whole of the passage I'd have loved read today, I'd have had no time to preach, which may have been to your advantage, but I had something I wanted to say today as well. If we read the whole of Luke chapter 1 and the whole of Luke chapter 2, there's a thread that you might have seen or heard running all the way through this story that has to do with the way that the Holy Spirit is at work, not simply, not just magnificently, in the giving of Jesus, but in each of the people that has to do with his life that he has a role in each of their lives, which is the same role that he comes to have in your life and my life, and actually what we're praying is in the life of little Lottie as she grows up. 
And it has to do with a basic pattern of living that you see in every human being, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, whether they have the gift of the Holy Spirit poured into them or not. And that is that the whole of our lives are bound up in this, you might call it a spiral, you might call it a circle, a repeating pattern of seeing, believing, and acting. We see, we believe, we act. We see... That is, all of us have to take in how the world is. Now, that might be to do with the huge, big issues of the day, the the issue of climate change or of Brexit or of community building. It might be to do with our own particular family. It might be to do with our own particular career or friendships. We see the world and we decide what the world is like. We see either clearly or not clearly, but everything that we do comes out of how we see the world. It's one of the oddest things in life when you find yourself seeing the world very differently from somebody else. I don't know whether you've got tripped up over the last few months or years uh, with somebody who you thought you knew really well, and yet partway through a conversation and you suddenly realize that actually the conversation is doing this because you suddenly realize you see one particular thing really differently. Uh, It could be one of the big issues of the day. It might be Brexit. It could be something that you never have even talked about yet. It could be, um, I don't know, it could be beyond the realm of politics. It could be to do with how you parent children. That's a sensitive subject. You know, great friends, and you go through life together, and you both have kids, and you suddenly realize, oh, heck, we parent so differently. This is going to be awkward. It could be to do with how you view your career or money or friendship. You see the world differently, and how you see the world then spills over into how, what you believe. And I don't mean by believe just a set of beliefs. By the word belief, I mean much more what the Bible really calls faith. That is, the hands that are open to receive the truth of how we see the world and make it personal. How does that affect me? So let me give you an example. It might well be that you and I might sit and watch a David Attenborough Um, documentary about the world, and we might both see really clearly the particular and peculiar mess of the world. It might be the issue of plastics in the ocean. It might be the the, uh, even more particular issue of climate change. We might see that really clearly and agree on it. The question of belief or faith is how I make that personal. Has that got anything to do with me? And if it has got anything to do with me, what should I do about it? Two people can believe the same thing about, they can see the same thing in the world, but they can respond very differently. And then, depending on how I respond, depending on how I believe my faith, if you like, the question is how I'm going to act. See, believe, act. In every part of life, you find those three steps, how I see the world, what I believe about it personally, and what I'm going to do by way of action. And actually, as we're praying for little Lottie, you'll find that what we're praying for her time again and what her parents are praying for her, what godparents and grandparents are praying for her is that she will see the world as clearly as possible, as truly as possible, that she'll be wise in what she believes about it for herself and that she'll be courageous in the way she acts. That's what we hope for her. It's what we hope for ourselves and what we hope for one another. Well, the interesting thing about a thread that runs right the way through this Christmas story is that when the Holy Spirit comes on people, 
when God's presence, God's empowering presence, fills people, he does those three things the way they were always meant to be done. He helps them suddenly to see the world clearly, but through his eyes. He gives them the gift of faith to believe his promises. And then he gives them courage to act accordingly. And if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the prayers to pray as God fills you each day by his spirit is that he will help you to see the world through his eyes. That he will give you the gift of faith to believe what he says about it. And that he'll give you his power and courage to act accordingly. And that's not a weird, wacky, wonderful thing simply for those who have a religious tone and a religious way of life. The Bible would say that's the way we're all meant to live. That we're all seeking after that clarity of sight that only God can give. That we're all longing for that faith that is his gift by his spirit. And that we would love the courage to act and to change the world. But actually we're missing out on the power of his spirit to do so. Let me quickly run you through these examples. It starts with Zechariah back in Luke chapter 1, just before the passage that Math uh, preaches. Zechariah uh, is married to Elizabeth. He's minding his own business. And uh, he uh, is a priest. He serves uh, in the, the Jewish faith. And that it's his turn to go in and to serve in one of the holy places in the temple. And he goes in, and he is literally just doing what he'll have done before, what he'll have seen many people do hundreds of times before, and there is a moment of unbelievable clarity, but also of terror, because what he sees is an angel. An angel simply means, that's a little uh, Greek word, that simply means messenger of God. And this angel says to him that God has given them a gift, and he's given them a gift of a child. And Zechariah simply doesn't believe it. Now, I don't know whether you've ever got your head around the weirdness of that, the oddness of that, I guarantee, no, actually, maybe that's a silly thing to say. My hunch is that there's nobody here who's ever seen, physically and in the flesh, an enormous angel. If you have, come and tell me about it afterwards. But let's just go with the assumption that we haven't. You'd assume that if you ever did, you wouldn't argue with them. I mean, you might argue with your senses and go, I'm going mad, I'm seeing things. But that's not the problem for Zachariah. What you find... Uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, Zechariah doesn't say, you're not real, are you? What he says is, I think you're lying, effectively. I, I, I'm not sure that's brave or really foolhardy. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. In other words, we're far too old to have children. I don't know what you're talking about. You've clearly got it wrong, he says to the eight-foot-high flaming angel in front of him. Actually, when you see the world one way, it's really hard to see it another, isn't it? When you've gone through your life seeing the world in one particular way, it's really hard to change whatever the evidence in front of you. The angel says to Zechariah, it's true. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. You wait. And when he's born, don't call him Zechariah, because usually you'd name him after the father in those days. Call him John. What you find, again, just after the reading that Math brought to us, towards the end of chapter 1 on page 1027, is that he's clearly managed through writing to communicate to his wife that this baby they've been given out of all um, expectation is to be called John, not Zachariah. When she says that and everybody goes, don't be silly, we always call them after the father's name in this culture, um, 
The father says, no, she's right. And at that point, verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosened, he began to speak, praising God. And then verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, when you prophesy in the Bible, it's not like Nostradamus and all that strangeness. When you prophesy in the Bible, all you're doing is you're seeing the world as God sees it, and you're telling people about it. That's what prophecy is. It's simply seeing the world as God sees it. So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. He sees the world as God sees it, and he tells people about it. And finally, he has the faith to believe that what God is saying to him is true and the courage to act on it. Zechariah, he sees the world through God's eyes. He believes God's promises. He acts on it courageously. Not just because he's a great human being. Actually, he shows pretty much earlier on that he's not doing great, but because of God's gift of his Holy Spirit. And then we've got Mary in the reading that Math brought to us. The promise the angel makes to her in verse 35 is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And again, the Holy Spirit gives her those three gifts. Alongside the gift of this astonishing gift of this child, the one who is to be God with us, Emmanuel, the Holy Spirit gives her the gift of seeing, believing, and acting. She sees things really clearly. That's why she's able to, to sing this song that we think of as the Magnificat in church language uh, in the middle of chapter 1. And when she sees the world as it really is, she then believes God's promises. She applies them to herself. Astonishing though it is, she believes that God has given her this gift. She believes that God has good purposes for her. And she acts accordingly with courage. And with strength. Verse 41 then applies this same uh, trio to Elizabeth, to Mary's sister. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Again, she sees the world as God sees it, she believes God's promises, she then acts on it. And finally, and for this, we have to flip over the page to chapter 2. When Jesus is born and on the eighth day of his birth, he's taken to the temple to be circumcised, as was the custom of those days. And in the temple, uh, the Bible says that there is a man called Simeon and a woman called Anna, and they're in their great old age. And both of them, the Bible says, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they see this little baby. And on one level, this little baby is completely, utterly ordinary. Lovely in his own way, just as Lottie is lovely in her own way, but just an ordinary child is what he sees. Except that the Holy Spirit helps him to see things as they really are. Verse 26 it had been, of chapter 2, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's sent one, the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, there's the believing bit, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your rescue, your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Here's the challenge for us this morning. Every single one of us sees the world a slightly different way. We see it slightly differently politically. 
We see it slightly differently socially, in our sort of ethics and morals. We see it differently in our values. We might see it differently in the way that we deal with our relationships, the way we do our parenting, the way we do our friendships, whatever it is. But the Bible says that we are missing out on the clear-sightedness that we were always designed for if we don't have God's gift of himself by his spirit. It makes sense. If God's the one who's made us, if God intended us to live and walk with the gift of his Holy Spirit, then of course when we allow his spirit to fill us, he will help us to see the world his way. That may simply be in the normal stuff of everyday wisdom. Sometimes it's in God prompting us, nudging us, using our imaginations and our memories and in our guts and hearts to see things that we couldn't otherwise see, to understand in what's called the gift of prophecy, maybe in words of knowledge, something about a particular situation or a particular person we couldn't otherwise know. That's all part of God helping us to see the world with his eyes. We were always made for that. But it's one thing to see quite another thing to hold out the hands and to believe, to receive from God what he's offering us, to believe that his promise is for us. Well, God's promise, his offer, is that that gift is a gift too. That faith, that belief is something he gives us. Uh, one of the occupational hazards with being a vicar uh, is the way that it tends to kill conversation in dinner parties. I've often told you this. Somebody says, oh, what do you do? I say, I'm a vicar. Actually, I often go, I'm a vicar. And then they go, sorry, what was that? <laughs> uh, I'm a vicar. And you can see my family going, here we go. Um, and at that point, the, the, as I've often said, the conversation goes one of two ways. Either somebody goes, at last, a tame, real vicar who's pinned to a seat next to me at the dinner table. I'm going to ask them all my questions about religion, which is fine. I enjoy that. That's all good fun. Um, the other way it goes is people go, people sort of want to go, I don't really believe what you believe, but I want to sort of honour it, sort of want to be polite. And so the phrase that gets said is, I wish I had your faith. Which they actually don't mean, I wish I had your faith. What they mean is, it's quite an honourable, respectable, quite sort of impressive thing to have faith. And of course I don't do this, but what I want to say is, no, 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 no. I mean, faith isn't something I've generated and it's quite impressive and well done me. Actually, faith is the gift of God. Actually, to put out my hands and receive from God isn't terribly impressive at all. He's helped me do it. And actually, what he's done is he's given me the gift of being able to see the world as I think it really is. Not perfectly yet. I've got to wait for, this, for the life of the world to come to see the world perfectly. But I get glimpses and see things as they really are. And then he gives me the gift simply, as actually as Lindsay was describing for us, simply to receive the gift of his love. And then, and this is the bit where we have to keep on asking God again and again to fill us, then to have the courage to act on it. You can see things as they really are. You can even begin to believe that it's for you, but to have the courage to step into it, to be different because God's made you, to see the world, to believe about it, but then to act differently, even against the rub, even against the grain, even against the way the world, are li the, the way the world are, lives, is hard. When Alice was praying, she prayed for Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith. That takes courage to act according to the way you see the world and the way you believe. And that's a gift, a gift of God's Spirit. So we've been praying for Lottie today. 
She didn't have any choice of whether she was baptized today, and actually it was rather wonderful, although I'm sure that Jan and Bryony will be uh, dying a thousand deaths at her running up the aisle. I think the rest of us quite enjoyed it. Um, but actually it was rather beautiful because it showed us that baptism reminds us that we are given, offered a gift of God, whether we like it or not. Lottie didn't choose to be baptized this morning. She was baptized whether she liked it or not. But what that shows us is that God in Christ died for us and lived for us, whether we like it or not. He offered us a way of seeing the world that is real, a gift of faith that transforms our lives, and the gift of courage, whether we like it or not. Here's the rub. What we're praying for Lottie is that there will come a day, and many days to come, when she does want it, when she is able to say yes to that offer of that gift, when she does put out those hands of faith and receive for herself what our parents have prayed for, what we've prayed for, for her. And my challenge to you today is if you've never yet said for yourself, simply yes to the gift of God's Spirit, to be able to see the world as it really is, to receive God's promises for yourself and to live and act courageously in its light, then today is a good day to do it. You can join Lottie in beginning to respond to God. And if you've done it before, then do it again. Because each day we need God to fill us afresh, to help us to see more clearly, to respond with faith and to act courageously as he empowers us with his presence. We're going to respond using a couple of songs of worship as the band come to join me. And as they do so, can I suggest we bow our heads in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you once again for Lottie, for her family, and for all that she has represented for us of your gift of love in Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, your empowering presence, for the way in which the Spirit brought the gift of Jesus' life into Mary and for all of us. But thank you too for the Spirit's job of opening our eyes to see, opening our hearts to receive, and giving strength to our wills to act. And we pray that for Lottie, and we pray that for ourselves, both now and each day of our lives. Amen.